So Bobby's right. We're starting this, uh, we're finishing up this series called Underdogs. And um, whether you're at a ball game or watching a TV show or, or maybe a sporting event or a movie, there's nothing more exhilarating to see the little guy who wasn't expected to win, win. I, I remember the first time I saw Rocky and I thought, you know, I, I'm going to drink raw eggs in the morning too. And so the next morning I thought, this is what you do. And I did that one time and I thought, it's not worth being Rocky, you know? Uh, I, w- I was in, still in high school and I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm gonna try to box. And so I went and got one of those uh, things, you know, the b- thing where you did it, did it, did it, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, I, it did it to me like one time and I was done. You know, it's like, okay, I'm not Rocky, but what, what a cool underdog story. Rocky loses to Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed then loses to Rocky, and then Rocky beats Ivan Drago. And then now, Apollo Creed's son has beaten Drago's son. I can't wait for Rocky 18. I mean, it's just, I, it just doesn't get any better than that when it comes to, to, to underdogs. What, what we don't always recognize is that every hero started as an underdog at some point. I mean, everywhere, sometime, some way, an underdog becomes a hero. And the heroes of the Bible are no different. As a matter of fact, they're very specific. God used ordinary people to show his extraordinary goodness. And when Jesus was walking physically on this earth, he surrounded himself with underdogs. I mean, Jesus selected 12 men, his apostles, to travel with and start his redemptive plan for mankind's sake. And he couldn't have picked a more unlikely or diverse group of underdogs. Think about it. Jesus selected fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, thieves, political activists, and handymen. And after the first church was put into place, God chose a terrorist turned evangelist to write much of the New Testament and become the second greatest preacher of all time. And we know him as Paul the Apostle. Now, none of these folks were exceptional in their own right. I mean, but but here we're talking about them some 2,000 years later. So there, there had to have been something that went from ordinary to extraordinary for us to still remember and to still talk about these folks. I mean, week one was Gideon, week two was Josiah, week three was Moses. And today we want to give you four examples that might hit home in how an underdog relates to you. Because Jesus, when he selected his band, he didn't select scholars or mathematicians. He didn't select pundits or prophets. He didn't pick preachers. He specifically chose everyday blue collar kind of guys, and he worked in their lives to become world altering leaders. Now, when we think about that, we think, well, Chuck, but that's what they could do. I'm talking about me. God would never choose me. God wouldn't pick a guy like me. Well, we wouldn't have thought he would have picked fishermen. We wouldn't have thought he would have taken a tax collector. We wouldn't have thought that he took a a zealot whose singular job was to kill tax collectors. Nowhere in the middle of those 12 do we see that, okay, we would have picked them. If we today, if Jesus chose to walk on the face of this earth right now, and we saw the kind of people that he called around him, the kind of people that he hung around with, odds are good, we the church would start grumbling. 
Why would he pick somebody like that? Why would he choose somebody like that? I can't believe he's hanging around with people like that. We would have done the very same thing. Have you ever felt like the odds were just stacked against you? I mean, it's just like you've kind of rested on this thought that I'm never gonna amount to anything. I'm never gonna be more than I am now, that I'm just done. I'm just completely done. I believe that the, the fastest group of people that are growing in and around Atlanta are people that are just done. They're, they're, they're done with the rat race. They're done with their finances. They're done with trying to get kids through school. They're done with work. They're done with everything. And what a sad thing to have to look at it and say, man, I'm just so done with this life. But the fact is that when the odds are against you, we can see the fact that God Almighty had a plan for you without there being any challenge if we walk his way. Now, this, this past week, I, I had the privilege of speaking in Monroe, Georgia at an, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Fields of Faith. And uh, I was there and the, they asked me, said, Chuck, if, if you do, do anything else, I wanna make sure that you share the story of the gospel and how much Jesus loves you because we've got about 350 people in the stands and we have no idea whether they, whether they know Christ or not. And I said, okay, we can do that. So we had all the testimonies and the bands and like typical FCA events, you know, it was way too long and it was way too scattered. And it was my job to kind of wrap that thing up. And I thought to myself, I've got about 15 minutes to preach, so I'm just gonna go at it. So I went at the story and I'm talking about how much Jesus loves him. And at the end I said, now listen, if you wanna give your life to Christ, I don't wanna make this easy on you because Jesus didn't die in a closet in private for you. He died out on Main Street for you and he gave his life for you. And I want you to claim that fact that Jesus can forgive you. He can live in your life. He'll give you the gift of his Holy Spirit. You can be as sure for heaven as if you were already there. And in the middle of all that, I get done and I have this opportunity to say, now, do you want to trust Jesus with all your life? And nobody moved. I got 350 people sitting on a football seat or stand bleachers. I'm the only one down front. I've got no band. I got nothing going on to try to stir any emotion. And I'm just saying, if you want to follow Jesus, stand up right now, wherever you're at. And then I finally said, like I do here, you know, it could be that, that one or two people need to stand to get everything going. Over to my right was a kid that stood up. And I learned later, this kid had lived in about 10 different states in, in about eight different foster homes that his parents had literally dropped him off at about four years old. He had all kind of autism challenges in his life. He'd been beaten on, he, he'd gone through horrible stretches. And when I said, if you wanna give your life to Christ, and I said, come on, nobody, and this one kid stood up. And that one kid had the guts. I didn't even say start walking and he literally started walking down toward me. And about the time he started that, about 35 more kids got up and they started making their way forward. And I thought to myself, you know what? Nobody would have picked that kid. Nobody, nobody would have picked that kid because honestly, he was one of those kids that if you had seen him walking down the mall, you might would have thought, okay, that, that kid, he's never going to amount to anything. I mean, he, he's never going to do anything great. I mean, all he's got to do is in, in existence. And the fact was, he started a tiny revival amongst those people at that school. And it took that kid. So I'm talking to him afterwards. And I said, tell me why you came down. He said, because if Jesus is the only one that's ever going to love me, I want to be his friend. And I thought to myself, that, that's a picture of greatness. That's a picture of what this looks like. So I want to give you four quick folks in scripture that probably add up to be pretty good heroes. I want to start with the water boy. Now, this is a story many of you don't, don't re remember or, or maybe have never read. In Mark chapter 14, 
there's a story that Jesus tells his disciples to go into town. Now he says, go into town and find the man carrying a jar of water. And I want you to follow him to his house where they would celebrate the Passover meal. So Jesus says to his disciples, hey guys, go into Jerusalem. When you get there, I want you to find a guy toting a jar of water. Now, I want you to recognize that in Jerusalem, it's not like they had running water. There were a lot of people carrying jars of water. And so he doesn't give any specificity here. He says, go in and find a guy carrying a jar of water. And the man with the water jar, it, he becomes the epitome of underdogs, unknown and seemingly unimportant, but because he obeyed Jesus without question and offered his home up, history was made. Little did the man know his home would be the location of Jesus's last meal here on earth. Listen to what the text says. In Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus's disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. Little would history know that this guy carrying a jar of water would become the place that he would lead Jesus and his disciples into that upper room for that first Lord's Supper. Now, what did he have to do to become a hero in that status? All he had to do was carry a pitcher of water. Now, let me ask you a question. Could you carry a pitcher of water? Okay, that's not rhetorical. Could you carry a pitcher of water? Okay, so would you do me a favor and just kind of hold your hand like you're holding a paint can full of water? All right, good job. I know some of you are far too cool to do this. I get it, but just go ahead and go with me, all right? Hold the paint can. Now I want you to say, when you got the paint can, I want you to slosh the water around. All right, now I want you to take the, paint, the, the, the can, put your hand under the bottom of it and turn it up a little bit and let the water spill out. Do you see it? You see the water spilling? That's not rhetorical. Do you see the water spilling? Yes, okay, good. I don't really know why I did that. I thought it'd be fun to see if you'd follow me. But, and you did, I think that's so cool. It's just like this, can you imagine being one of the disciples? Jesus says, go in, find a dude carrying a jar of water. It's like, they're all carrying water, Lord. But no, I have one guy that will be faithful to what I've told him to do, and he's gonna be there. You know, the, the ongoing theme through scripture is not how we do great things. It is about how we simply do things and obey Christ. I mean, the singular goal here is not that we want to do great things. It is the fact that when we obey, God does great things through us. You know, the challenge for us is many of us want to have a great life, but most of us don't want to live an obedient life. Now, when I say most of us, I, I put myself in that same category. I mean, the challenge here is this guy becomes an, a favorite and he, he becomes a hero and he, be, he stops being an underdog because in his home is where Jesus says to his disciples, just a bit from now, and I'm gonna go away from you, but I'm going to send to you a gift. And the disciples are, Lord, I would follow you. Peter says, I'll stick with you. And then just later we hear Peter deny him three times. 
One of the things that's beautiful about that trip to the Holy Land is when you're in that, that courtyard, you can literally see how he would have looked across the courtyard and he could see Jesus face to face upon that. But you know what? The, the fascinating story is not so much this guy did something great. What was fascinating is that this guy simply obeyed to do one thing. What if the Lord is waiting on you to just obey whatever that one thing is he's asking you to do? Now, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to put your hand in your lap and scooch back in your chair. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. And I want you to think, what do you believe the one thing you're supposed to do next for the Lord is? What's that one thing? All right, I'm going to give you a moment of total silence. You think through, what do you think is the next thing the Lord wants you to do? Lord, would you impress upon our heart that you speak to us and you are with us in every way? And would you speak such truth into our life that we would know the next best step? We would know how to honor you and obey you and do the next right thing. God, we can't see much further beyond that, but you give us courage to obey you now. And as we prepare, prepare ourselves for the week ahead, God, would you, would you speak into these folks' lives and be so Waterford crystal clear they would know precisely what you want them to do next. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess the question is, are you willing to just go do that one thing? Most of us think in terms of there's 40 things I've got to do. I got to, where am I going to be in, in six months? And we forget the fact that really to obey is what is the next step I take? What is the very next thing I need to move in the direction of honoring the Lord? So we've got the water boy, but we've also got the perfume girl. In that same chapter earlier in the text, there is, there is a home and Mary of Bethany is there in this home. She's a woman accompanied by bad choices, by poor moral lifestyles. And yet Jesus says of her, she's done a good thing for me, leave her alone. In Mark chapter 14, beginning of verse three, it says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. And some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I will tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Now this lady is the most unlikely candidate to receive a medal of honor. And yet Jesus says that wherever his story is told, there will be a medal of honor in her name. She broke every cultural norm to become a woman that we still remember as a spiritual hero because she simply did what she could. Wanna be a hero to your spouse, your kids, your boss, your parents? Get your life focused on Jesus and do what you can. Now, I don't, I don't want to leave this right here because it sounds like such a trite statement. Get my life focused on Jesus and do this one thing that you can do. But I would say if, if every person in this room, 
matter of fact, if 50% of the people in this room and watching online this week said, I'm going to focus my life on Jesus and I'm going to take the next step that he has for me, we would radically change the way this church is, this community, our schools, and our businesses. The question isn't, can God do something great? The question is, would we be willing to follow and obey? Now that's the issue. Now you could say, but Chuck, you don't understand. You don't understand how messed up my life is. You don't understand how selfish I am. You don't understand how sin-filled I am. If you could only see deep down in the crevice of my heart, there's no possible way that God has a plan for me to succeed. And what I'm telling you is, if Jesus has done it over and over and over again, while he was on this earth and while he's sitting beside the Father in heaven, if he can keep on doing this over and over and over again, and he does, why wouldn't he choose you? So here's the question I've got for you. Do you believe that God is greater than whatever obstacle you're facing right now? That is not rhetorical and demands an answer. Do you believe that God is greater than whatever obstacle you're facing right now? Well, here's what I'd say, go live like it. Now, don't get me wrong, I struggle too. I, am, I, I, am deal, I deal with fear, I, I deal with rejection, I, I deal with the thought of, but what if? But listen to me, friend, God will take your what if and he will turn it into what he did. Amen. It can go from what ought to be to what has to be. It will go all the way from I am nothing to I am no underdog anymore. Well, that brings me to a little boy and his lunch, a story most of us have heard about in John chapter six. Jesus uses the faith and the lunch of a little boy to feed more than 5,000 men and 1,000 more children and women. And he does it with five little muffins that are about the size of a Twinkie and two little sardines. Can you imagine that little boy? And he looks up to Simon Peter and he says, I can share my lunchbox. I always picture the kid as holding a, a, a lunchbox. My favorite show growing up was a show called The Rat Patrol. Does anybody remember that show? I had a Rat Patrol lunchbox. It had, a, it had a Rat Patrol thermos in it. I mean, it was the greatest thing ever. And I always remember, I had that thing, I was so proud of it. And I picture this little boy taking that little, little lunchbox and saying, well, you, you can have mine if you think it'll help. And what I, what I recognize is, this is what the Lord means by overcoming any obstacle. Because most of us starting with me would say, but I don't have, but I can't do. I mean, the limiting belief that we place on ourselves is, is one thing, but the limiting belief that we place on God is purely false. Because God doesn't have to fit into our box to do a great work. As a matter of fact, God's not going to fit in our box because he's not gonna stay there. He is going to be intricately involved in our life just like he did this little boy. And so for this little boy to give away that lunch is, is something that's rad radical. Because this underdog of a boy gave Jesus all of that little that he had and an extraordinary miracle took place. Once again, this third little hero is no underdog, except in his own limiting belief. I, this is what I've got, I, I'll give to whatever the cause is. John chapter six, verse three says this, then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration and Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. 
Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? And Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same thing with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces, and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Now, why would I put this little boy in this one place? I mean, if you take the first guy, the water boy, he just said the simple task, carry a jar of water, follow these guys to the house, right? I mean, that's, that's easy enough. The perfume girl, all she had to do was take the one thing that she had that was worth an annual wage, break open the seal and pour the whole thing and anoint the Lord Jesus. Then the third one, a little boy with a lunchbox says, here, if this will help, I want to give everything I have. In all three cases, we find this one similarity, and that is this one thing that the Lord asks of you right now. What is it that the Lord asks of you right now? Would you do me a favor? I want you to close your eyes again. I wanna give you another time to, to, to simply start thinking through what is it the Lord wants of me right now? So with your eyes closed, I want you to come back into the Lord and his presence and I wanna give you a moment of solitude and quietude. And I want you to simply say to the Lord, would you show me that one thing you're asking me to do? So Lord, would you take everything that you have brought to the top of my friend's mind place it on the tip of their tongue and brand it into their heart and soul that they might, like this little boy, bring what they have to do what they can. And I pray that they would do that and you would bless them richly for their obedience to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the last one is a shepherd boy. One of the places, one of the favorite places that uh, we go on the Holy Land tour as we go to the shepherd's fields outside Bethlehem. This is where the angels came to announce to the shepherds that Jesus had been born. This is just, this is just a football field or two away from his birthplace. This is where Samuel anointed David. This is where Ruth and Boaz had their thing. There's so much that goes on within this story. But this shepherd boy is a little boy by the name of David. You know him because he, he took care of Goliath. You know him because he killed a lion and a bear. You know him as a man after God's own heart. But God sends Samuel to anoint a new king because honestly, Saul's not getting it done. And he arrives at Jesse's home and he meets Jesse's sons one by one by one. And each time he goes to one, boy, that guy looks like he ought to be a king. And the Lord says, not him. Well, this, this guy sounds like a king, and the Lord says, not him. And he goes all the way through his boys and finally says, do you have anybody else? And, and, and Jesse says, well, I got one little run of a kid, but all he is is a shepherd boy. That's all he does. He, he sings all the time. He's got this weird harp that he plays around with, and he hangs out with sheep. He probably stinks, but if you want to look at him, I'll call him. So David, this underdog, there's no way he looks like a king. He doesn't look like a king, doesn't talk like a king, doesn't walk like a king, doesn't sing like a king. But God chose the youngest, smallest, 
and most unlikely member of Jesse's family and worked in and through him to show God's greatness. From killing giants with pebbles to leading a nation as a king, God turned the underdog David into one of the greatest heroes of all time. And when it comes to heroes, let's face it, David's the goat. I mean, he took out Goliath. We talk about facing giants all the time because of him. And God himself ordains and anoints David as a boy in the shepherd fields just outside Bethlehem. Nobody would pick the baby of the family. He's a nobody in everybody's eyes except in the eyes of God. And we know that Samuel is directed by God to choose this underdog and David to become the king. This is the one God said to Samuel, anoint him. Now we know the rest of the story. David has more than a few challenges that would cause him a great deal of heartache. I mean, he wound up being a cheater. He wound up being a murderer. David became incredibly selfish in his own leadership. But the fact is, David turned back to God and while still an underdog, God raised out of him to be a man out of his own heart. You say, well, Chuck, if that guy who's been a murderer and a cheater, if God could still raise him out of that and use him greatly, maybe God could use me. Look at me right now. God can and will use you. You have one choice. Will I obey what I believe God just told me to do? And the question is not will God do something great, but will we simply be obedient? Well, David became the man after God's own heart. If the odds are against you, take hope. God is in the business of using underdogs and God wants to use an underdog just like you. What do these people have in common? They were all regular folks. I mean, they, they weren't stereotypical leaders. They weren't well-educated scholars. They weren't privileged kids from powerful families. They weren't household names with any fame or fortune. They were like me and you, just regular folks that learn to do one thing, obey the God of all creation. What was that one thing? To do whatever I could with what I had. The question for you is, will you do that? God chose them and is still in the business of choosing regular folks to step into faith and into the role of heroes like you. I know you're tempted to say, Chuck, that, that might be true for other folks, but not for me. And my answer is that you're not much different than Simon Peter who stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. You're not much different than Andrew and James and John. And just as Jesus walked along the seashore and selected those fishermen, so he walks through the aisles and the chairs and the rows of this place right now and online. And what he says is come follow me and we will do great and heroic works in you and through you, if you simply say, I wanna obey you and do the next right thing. But just like the people in this story today, you gotta to choose three things. Three things that every hero has to choose. And the first one is you've gotta choose his will. You've gotta choose, God, I wanna take on your will for my life. I wanna surrender and I want my will to be diminished so that I can take on your will. And the best way I can describe take on the Lord's will, it sounds like this, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every day I need you. Every hour I need you. Following his will is saying, I don't know that I can count on my way. As a matter of fact, I know I can't count on my way. Every time I go my way, I lose. But when I choose to be obedient to God, I take on his will. Lord, I need you. Secondly, we take on his blessing. Lord, I thank you. Oh, I thank you. If I, could, if I could just get a church 
to believe in this one thing that we would start every day with gratitude. Lord, I thank you. I want to choose your blessing. Listen, God is not withholding blessing from you. God is waiting for us to be obedient. God has a storehouse full of blessing. He wants to pour out on you. He simply is asking for us to be obedient. Choose his will, choose his blessing, and choose his way. Lord, I trust you. Oh, I trust you. Whatever that obstacle is that you believe keeps you from doing that one thing he's called you to do, is your God big enough to overcome that obstacle? Let me try it again. Is your God bigger to overcome that obstacle? Let me try one more time. Is your God bigger than that obstacle? Yes. Then what I would say is becoming a hero is that simple and yet it's that courageous. Would you like to be blessed and honored and challenged to live the life of a hero? Then choose his will, choose his blessing, choose his way. The song Echo we sang earlier today, when my mind says I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. I've decided I'm not giving up cause you won't give up on me. So wherever you're at, whatever he has called you to, whatever is between you and obedience to him, are you willing to say, I wanna follow in the steps of Jesus where there's an echo with every step that says, I've been obedient. I want to be blessed. I want his will. I want his way and I will trust him because I know when I do, he will overwhelm me with his goodness, with his walk, with his way and his blessing. My friend, that's the prayer for you today. Would you choose right now? I want Jesus. And you might be here today and say, Chuck, I get all that, but it sounds like such church stuff. I don't know what to do with it. It sounds this simple. Are you ready? Jesus, I need you. Step into my life. Jesus, I don't even know how you did all that, but would you forgive me for all the stupid stuff I've done? Jesus, would, would you overwhelm me with your will and your blessing in your way? Jesus, would you step into my heart? All the Bible says is call on the name of the Lord, man. Just do that. Now, this is not the right kind of song to make you sad and make you come down here and wallow around and cry and worry about this. This is a song of victory. This is a song where you win. This is a song where the goodness of God steps into this place and says, I will never leave you. I will not hang you out to dry. I will do everything you could ever hope for because you won't give up on me. Come on church, let's sing like we've never sung. Let's just sing your guts out. Lord, I want you, I need you. I know you'll never give up on me. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Church, get with it now, come on. Come on church, there's no time to be bashful. Come on. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on. When faith is lost. Come on, I can hear you. Come on, move a little bit. Come on, church. Come on. I'm not good enough. Come on, church. Come on, church.
some of y'all moving out there. I saw some of y'all, I'm telling you, some of you folks started moving a little bit and you made people next to you all freaked out. I saw folks looking at their neighbor going, I ain't gonna do it. And it's more like I'm gonna tap a little bit, but I ain't gonna move too much. And then we got to the third time of the solo thing and you're like, you know? You're doing kind of like that weird groove thing in church because you're not sure you really can do it, so you just kind of do that. Yeah, how good is that, right? Because you can let this Jesus go before you and make a way and make a crooked path straight. That's what he does. And you can let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment because he is always good and you are always loved. And listen to me, my friend, when this world beats you up, you can jump on his back and he will walk you through the middle of whatever that trial is. He will overcome whatever that obstacle is only to set you down victoriously on your two feet, wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his loving arms around you so you can look at your savior face to face and say, oh my goodness, Lord, I love you and hear him say back to you, my child, say it with me. I love you. God bless you, go in peace.